Well, before we start, uh, I just want to do a little uh, thing here. Now, Brandon recently had uh, the COVID, and uh, he's fully fine and recovered as far as we can tell. But I thought what we should do is at the, not at the, even at the end of this episode, but if you want to see a discussion where I ask Brandon what that's like, you can go to our YouTube channel, Software Defined Talk YouTube.com. Is that right, Brandon? Uh, just go to softwaredefined.com and you'll find it. You're on there. There's the YouTube <laughs> and, and, there. and look up the video for this episode or go to the show notes and you can see our discussion of it afterwards. Uh, so, so, so with that, I, this is what I wanted to open up with uh, today. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. We're here in the uh, uh, August 2nd as we record. The, the traditional summer area. And I feel like I feel like I need some advice here because I think I've fucked up. I didn't make sure that we had some extensive planning around summer vacations. And so while Kim and I have had some weekend trips, which is nice because my mom's here, we haven't really figured out a uh, like a week long family vacation. So I wanted to get the advice from the two of you. What do you do when it's it's August 2nd? <sighs> And you haven't really planned out how you're going to have a vacation, uh, you know, because I've got five kids to feed. Right? Mm. And so, like, how do you how do you manage this? What do I do? What are some tips? Mm. What, what should I be? What should we be looking at? So is this a staycation? You're stuck at home. You're or you're just, you know, looking what? for opportunities to, to get out. Anything's possible. I'm okay. just I'm just looking for what 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 y'all would do in this situation. All right. Well, um, well, I was going to say your kids are old enough, but they're not. Uh, you got that, you got that fifth one. Um, there's <laughs> good job going with the joke, Matt Ray. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we did a, an in-town vacation, um, where we, uh, we stayed at a hotel downtown. Um, mm. yeah, the kids got to hit the breakfast buffet. Uh, pool? yeah, we, we, huh? Uh, pool? yeah, there was a pool. There were, there was okay. a pool. We did, we did the pool and, you know, we got to do some of the tourist things that, you know, we, we do normally, but we were staying downtown. So, you know, mm-hmm. two nights at a hotel uh, in downtown Sydney was fun. Um, made a, a long weekend out of it, but uh, that's an idea. Um, okay. Okay. I like, you know, it. and if, if things fall apart too much, you kind of go home. Um, now, 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 you know, I, I think we're all at this point familiar with the geography of the Netherlands. Basically anywhere in the Netherlands is, is probably the same distance getting from your house to downtown Sydney. So the whole, <laughs> the whole country. Is, Pretty is, much. Is I mean, it, I, we're talking, you know, uh, 20, 20 minute drive with zero traffic or an mm. hour uh, during rush hour. Oh, well, yeah. I, 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 I could make it to Berlin in that time. I, exactly. I just want to say, I mean, I don't know how easy it is for you, but like to me, you just cannot beat the all inclusive resorts, you know, mm. in some type of nice weather with a pool and hopefully close to a beach. Like, like to me, like there's a lot of different things you can do, a lot of things that are more culturally uh, enlightening and things you can visit. But just like, I don't know, man, a week of just like, yeah, everyone can eat and drink whatever they want and swim and, you know, go do the like yeah, activities yeah. and just. Uh, I like that. I think your kids are like, uh, at least the older ones are uh, at a point where they can kind of like, you know, it, it gives them like a little bit of independence, like at these resorts, like so kind of just walk around, and do what they want, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. just kind of nice, mm-hmm. right? They can kind of like get stuff and do stuff, and that way, you and your wife can you know take care of the young one and do some other stuff. So, uh, so maybe that's a very cliche, maybe even American cliche vacation, but I always enjoy it. I'll yeah. try and do that too. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I I, th- I think what you're going over there is the post enlightenment vacation. Like you, you've already, you've already like done all the cultural stuff. You already enlightened or whatever. And now you just want to uh, 
chill out. Well, someone explained this to me. Someone said there's there's two types of things. There's a vacation and a trip. A vacation, kind of mm-hmm. like what I said, you go one place, you lay around, you hang out, and that's that's what you do. A trip is could be many things, but it's like you go see a lot of sites. There's a lot of daily activities, you know, and it's kind of like uh, in my some part, people in my family love it. It's a lot of go go go, and you see, and then at the end, though, oftentimes at the end of a trip. You kind of feel like you need, you need a little bit of vacation. <laughs> vacation. I, apparently, always, I, apparently, I only take trips. I, I'm just right, no. That's what I say. Like some people, though, when I say to them, like we're taking a vacation, we're just they'll be like, "You're just staying there. That's all you're doing," and they just can't even believe it, right? So they're kind of trip people, right? Well, and I then can of believe course, it, but I'm the other one, the final one, I'll just wrap around in here is the visit. The visit is where you go and visit some. Usually, you're related to them, and you all stay uh-huh. in someone's house. Um, and you kind of like, that's the thing is y'all kind of stay together and cook together and and do all that. And again, that is something that at at the end of it, you can often feel like you want a vacation from, but of course, again, some people, you know, love it. Like I've been in big family outings where it's like, you spend all the time organizing who's cooking, uh, where we're getting the food, who's sleeping, where Uh people are on bed rolls, kind of uncomfortable. And at the end, people like love it. And I'm always like, "Mm, I think we could have just, we could have just gone gone to a hotel. Yeah. We could have gone somewhere else. So. Yeah. You got to decide. Got to decide for yourself. Also, like oh. I think certainly your oldest is, I'm sure, has opinions. Right? That's another easy one. It's like, well, you know, what do they want to do? Like, especially right before they go back to school. Like, maybe see if they can come up with some good ideas for you. Maybe they're yeah. maybe they're the Disneyland uh, Paris uh, people. That's that's true. You know, you know, it, it just depends on the cost of it. Like, it, it would be. Uh, I, I did look one summer about going to. They, they've got a, a whole Marvel theme park at Disneyland Paris that seemed really nice. Mm. And, and, you know, the rest of Disney, they had a nice hotel. I'll have to look into it. And I think, I think, I think Matt Ray, you've hit upon the ultimate child vacation fantasy, the breakfast buffet. I, I think, <laughs> I think that basically it was my kids I, eyes light up. Yeah. I, I was, I was, uh, uh, I did not have a frequent trap business traveler parent. So I could discover the wonders of the nice hotel breakfast buffet. So I did appreciate like the motel eight, you know, what do they call it? Well, the good breakfast. ones, right? Right. Because we've done like, you know, the uh, uh, embassy suites where it's like the continental breakfast. You know, it, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's okay. They maybe they throw a, a couple eggs out there. But uh, no, when uh, we went to Singapore and, and when we went to Tokyo, like we stayed at hotels, they got to have a uh, 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 big buffet. You know, the big buffets, right? With the Singapore one had five different countries. Oh, you know, oh, so they had the oh, American yes, buffet, they, yeah. the Japanese, nice. uh, you know, Singaporean. Maybe it was only three, um, but whatever. It, it was you know, the kids are still talking about that. They're like, "Oh, remember this? Where I had you know, uh, miso soup and and waffles." Yeah, yes. Yeah, this is where I'm still making my pitch again for the all inclusive. That's where you can if it, at the right place. Every yeah. meal is kind of like that. And I will say, yeah. I can't explain exactly why, but just something as a parent. Where the food is completely taken care of for the entire family, oh, no you know, doubt for an entire week, like no doubt, it's just unbelievable how liberating it is. It's just like, yeah, yeah get whatever you want, order it, call room service. Like you don't like yeah. that other thing. It is just an um, I I don't know. I, even as I say it, I can almost feel like this like feeling of relief come over me. Right? It's just like I don't. It's not like it's that hard at home, but it's so different. It's awesome. I get okay, okay. So I, I think here's what I'm going to take away. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go think about. I'm going to go think about possible vacations. My kids are not going to value seeing one of the lesser known Starry Night Van Gogh paintings. <laughs> Instead, they're just going to want to experience miso soup for breakfast. And if they only want to have a sip, 
they want to go they want to go have just like some pancakes whether it's in the shape of like france or texas or just round mm-hmm. like they won't care they're gonna want the pan and it doesn't even have to be real maple syrup it could just be oh. syrup right so i think i think i've got i've got to start thinking like the kids and to brandon's point i've got to think more about how can i use fake maple syrup as a babysitter for two hours mm, yes. <laughs> yes it is and and speaking of uh fake, fake maple syrup as a babysitter I, I don't think that works at all you know i think there's been a lot of uh like there was some late breaking analysis about uh uh in, in the application performance monitoring the monitoring observability whatever the uh uh Taking, looking, at, uh, looking at your IT stuff, applications and inf- infrastructure, and figuring out if it's red, yellow, or green, like uh, that kind of market. Uh, it, so one, there's been a lot going on since last we talked. It looks like Dell wants to acquire Moogsoft. I, I, I remember them. They were kind of in the air when you two were still working on this stuff, kind of, kind of coming up there. I think some Tivoli people started that. I, I kind of forget. And then uh, New Relic looks like it's going to go private. By a combination of not the Tomo Bravo yeah, equity firms partners and, and the other one and TPG. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so the not Tomo Bravo PE firms that buy software companies right. and and uh, and let's see, there was and and you know there there was a good uh, I'd forgotten that Sumo Logic was also purchased by them, but it looks like we're we're kind of set up here. I don't know. Are, are we? Uh, let let me ask you first, Brandon, because you follow the numbers and mm-hmm. and uh, the, all that stuff like. Does this mean all of the monitoring observability startups are about to get snatched up? Is that what we're experiencing here in the market? I feel like I'm on CNBC or something. Well, I definitely think, you know, the ones that are mature with like big, good revenue streams and clearly New Relic and Sumo Logic and Moogsoft, I'm going to put all of them kind of in that same category. So I think what you kind of come down to is, oh, I think we should maybe step back a little bit and just say it's like, you know, remember last year it was like, oh, the recession is coming. It's the end of the world. Everyone has to be fired. So we lived through that. But then it turned out, it looks like the recession is not coming. Soft landing, as they like to say. So stocks are now up again. And so people that have money, like these large private equities or Dell, large strategic buyers are sort of like, okay, how do we put this money to work? And one analyst was basically saying that this, the best way to quote unquote, play the cloud, right? To, if you will get a piece of the cloud revenue uh, if you can't, you know, be AWS or GCP or Azure is to buy one of these, you know, monitoring mm. startups or observability. Now, I don't know. Listen, we've been at this game a long time. It's like I've heard that kind of pitch before, but I think people are buying, uh, buying off on it. And I think that's exactly what's going on. So in the case of uh, Francisco Partners and TPG, I think this makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, New Relic, we've talked about a little bit and clearly they wanted to be sold. So it sounds like they came to the right price. And as somebody alluded to in that article, it was like, yeah, it makes total sense that they would uh, kind of, you know, pair that up with Sumo Logic, which, which I think we even talked about like Sumo Logic sort of like never really had monitoring, but says it has monitoring, you know, it's really just log files at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. And so throw lo- uh, Sumo Logic together, new relic together, then the whole quote unquote efficiencies, then I think if you're the private equity here, you're going to put that together. You're going to say, hey, how do we grow that revenue, take out a bunch of costs, and then potentially go back and sell it mm-hmm. to a Dell or a Tomo Bravo or Tomo Bravo <laughs> or take it public again. Again, Because, you know, mm-hmm. clearly I think that's one of those issues where we talk about the strategy tax all the time, right? About 
Sumo Logic sort of, you know, always kind of had a position that like it had all this stuff. But now you just say, don't worry about that. We, we know you didn't really have that. It didn't really work, but New Relic has that. And then you say to New Relic, don't worry about it. You don't really have log management. I know you say you do, but you don't. So like, let's just, you know, put it all together here. Let's update the, the slide decks. Let's get ourselves a, a new logo, you know, decide if we like black and white or the New Relic uh, colors and let's, you know, put this in a nice, beautiful pitch and, you know, spend a couple years figuring it out. And then, you know, we'll all make a ton of money. And by all, I mean, the private equity people will make a ton of money again. So I, I think it makes sense. And I see that's what's happening. What do you think, Matt? There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're back on, we're back on the roller coaster. Um, you know, one of the other links you had showed how new relic has been, um, not keeping up with the Joneses as far as, as you know, uh, how, how their finances have been working. Um, and, you know, back channel, uh, I, I knew some folks who had been there and they're like, yeah, the writing's been on the wall. Like they've done round after round of layoffs to, you know, tighten the belt, tighten the belt to look ready to sell. So even when this past deal fell apart, you know, I think we were talking about this April, March, something like yeah. that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there were layoffs before that. There were layoffs again in, in between. And, you know, here we are. Uh, apparently, they sold to the same people for even more. So, you know, apparently, they laid right. their way off the success. Well, reading between the lines there, <laughs> it sounds like the the first offer that was legit was $5 billion. And now we look back on it and we say, I think New Relic balked at that. They probably said they wanted eight or nine, right? They're probably, yeah. and they probably walked in there with uh, some data dog slides. They're like, do you not see this data dog valuation? Right. And then, <laughs> and, and, and then the, the counter to that is like, they're still fully staffed. Yeah. And then Francisco <laughs> and TBG were like, yeah, we see that when, when you're not that. And they left. Right. And then they're like, oh. and so I think they left and they're like, okay, we're not talking anymore. And then clearly, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe new relic wanted eight or nine. And, you know, and, and Francisco said, well, listen, the, the stocks are markets up again. I just got off the phone from these bankers. They'll give us the debt. So we'll do six. And this time, this is the last offer. And they're like, we'll take six. That's, what, that's exactly how I think that went down. So You, you drive a it, hard bargain. We're billionaires. Yeah, well, somebody is, right? I mean, I think the, the in this case, it is one of those things where it's like, sure, the CEO, I'm, I'm sure, of New Relic did really well. And the shareholders did. But, um, of course, you know, these things are going to be levered up with like 50% debt. So it's just, you know, it's just going to be, you know, as an investor, you're probably excited. As someone that's working there, you know, I don't know, man. These are just tough times. This is just one of those things where it's like, yeah, these things just are difficult to see executed. Well, I mean, and and then if you're if you're there, you know, that begs the question. You know, do you stick around, write it out, see how it goes? Because I mean, definitely, uh, you know, there are advantages to staying. Um, I mean, I was talking to. Uh, a gentleman at a company that is being acquired by a, a big three-letter company. And, you know, I said like, Hey, if, if you don't get laid off, you pretty much have a year to like sit on your hands and find a new job or decide that this is a good place to be. And he's like, you know, I hadn't thought of that. I was like, how did you not think about that? Right. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there's a person like under 40 or something, uh, probably around that age. Right. And so, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, they'd been at um, this company being acquired for uh, like eight, eight or nine years. You know, they were early stage employee and, you know, th this company is you know, um, being bought and, you know, they, they're like, what am I going to do? And I was like, well, you have time. You know, the, these acquisitions as an employee, 
<laughs> as long as you don't get cut immediately, um, which sadly is going to happen if you are, you know, probably legal sales marketing. Um, but in engineering, they're going to need somebody to like guide and show people around. So, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you're kind of like embedded in, in the, in that, you know, they're, they, they acquire, if they're smart, uh, will try to keep, you know, people around for at least, you know, about a year to like show them what's going on, you know, cause, cause if you, if, if everyone just skedaddles, you know, you're left holding, you know, a shell of a company that, uh, you know, you're not going to get your, um, uh, spreadsheet returns on in, in four years because, you know, the wheels, the wheels fell off the, 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 yeah, uh, no, I think you're totally right. I mean, I think on the administrative side, that's the hardest, right? Because there will be the, the immediate cuts and, you know, that and the HR policy and a bunch of stuff will change and that'll change the culture, which is normally, but I think on the engineering side, it's really just your proximity to like the cash cow. So if like you're working on the log management functionality of Sumo Logic, probably, you know, stay like they're going to definitely yeah, want you yeah. there. If you're working on the APM or infrastructure monitoring of Sumo Logic, probably you either need to go work on the new Relic stuff or go work. You know what I mean? You kind of have to have this heart to heart. Or you can do what you said, man. It's like, well, they're not going to kill it today, but you kind of know long term they're going to want just one, right? They're going to want to like consolidate this stuff. So, and is that the kind of, I mean, that work, it can be a good place to work. Maybe it's people you like. It can also just veto a lot of backbreaking meetings, a lot of arguing, and a, a lot, lot of, of training uh, your replacements. Training yeah. that, or just sort of like winding stuff down. And that's where people, like, maybe that's just not what you want to do, right? You're just. Well, like, and, and, and the ace of the hole for this guy was, you know, he was Australian. So I was like, how long have you been there? Do you, do you know about Australian labor uh, law? Yes. You know, you got a sabbatical in your back pocket. So, you know, things get, things get too hot, boom, you know, six month sabbatical. Uh, and, uh, you know, that gives you lots of time. <laughs> we should talk about a little bit of Cause I mean, Kote, you've got, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is sort of, uh, obviously you have a little insight into Dell, but I also think this, you know, this is one of these things, these acquisition playbook, we see it all the time. You know, it's the large company acquiring a fairly mature technology. And the hope of, of course, is that there's going to be synergies, right? That like now mm-hmm. the move soft, uh, skews go right on the Dell, uh, price list and all the Dell reps just run out and sell it, right? And it's like that's always kind of the high level conceptual pitch. And then I would say it works like fifty fifty. Sometimes it's like a product that really does sell, and other times it's just like the new pe- the new reps don't want to sell the new product, and the new product people don't want to work with the new reps. And you're like, like one day into it, you're like, why did we do this? Everyone hates each other. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Hopefully at Dell, they they figured that out. They had that meeting before they closed the deal. What do you think, Kote? That, that that would be the uh, you know you described it well, right? And I think I don't I don't know Moogsoft business anymore. I don't know if I ever did, but I haven't I haven't followed them closely. I was kind of delighted that they uh, are still around with such an odd name. They always stick in my mind. And I think, who is I? There, there's some guy that I, some European guy that I know who actually worked there for some time that I used to talk with. Anyways, yeah, I mean, I don't think Dell has like an ongoing software business currently because they, they, uh, they divested Quest of off, Quest. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they sold Quest off and all these other things, which, Do they which, still uh, Boomi? No, no. Boomi no, is now owned so by. Another PE firm somewhere. Of course. It so is. so like they so Dell completed its 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 um I think is it second? I don't know. I I, I freak like it completed its its last round of wanting to add on being a software company, which which you know uh I I, I was involved in at my short stint at Dell. So I I mean I guess 
uh, acquiring Moogsoft is like another kind of like starting up wanting to get into software uh, beyond hardware. And like having looked at many of these types of acquisitions or, or, or you know, this general thing over, over the years here on the podcast and otherwise, like, and then, you know, especially looking at Dell, like my, I remember I wrote a post about something like this when like Cisco was acquiring some software companies and saying they wanted to really get into software. This was, I looked it up. It was a long time ago. And uh, I, I think, I think if you're a hardware company and, and you want to become a software company, like this is a very instructive, like, like situation here. And I remember once hearing um, that at Dell, you would not believe the amount of money they make off of backpacks, uh, like profit not, <laughs> that they make off of backpacks that you just attach, I guess, literally, but you just like have as part of a sale as, as a laptop. Right. And so it's just like easy money, right? Like yeah. if you go to Dell.com and you kind of look at like, you're here to buy a laptop and like, what else are people going to throw in? And, and you like, kind oh, of 50 bucks for a laptop bag. Is that reasonable? Okay. I'll right. get one. And yeah. you're like, sure. And it probably costs like, four dollars yeah whatever right so it's like it's like even if you're not selling a lot of them it's a lot of profit and so in my mind like like i mean i think i think i've said this around here several times is like if you're a big company acquiring a smaller company in the tech world that's not exactly in your area or even if it is in your area like i think your number one concern is like how do i get my existing sales force to sell this Right. Because really, like, that's what you're going to struggle with. Right. And it's also going to be, as Brandon was saying, a huge part of your assumptions about your return on investment and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, oh, we've got however many thousands of salespeople and they're just going to sell this thing. And like um, that very rarely works out. It, it's well. just weird. I do think I'd love to know why. Like, I guess I, I guess I'd answer my own question there is I guess Dell wants to have some of the software premium right um, going on. You want to get some of that cloud premium in their stock price. So I guess that's why they do it, but it just feels like they have bought and sold and really I should say bought and divested so many software companies over the last, you know, five or 10. I mean, it's, I think, you know, we follow this closely and we would have a hard time, you know, coming up with like all the security stuff. There was like RSA and that's been bought and sold. And yeah. so, and, and, and they, as I recall, they also own VMware at some point. Yeah. <laughs> good, uh, <laughs> good point. And it's just like, I don't know. It just, it's, it just feels more like just this financial machine. Right. And that's why I always just wonder, like, do they ever, do they have experience, you know, really adding on and selling? Cause like the VMware one, I guess is the most obvious. It's like, maybe they just got so profitable. They felt like that's been out, but it just feels like, well, that was a natural, a much more natural attachment than just Moosoft, right? So, and- so that, that is, that is a blind spot that I have that I'm always aware of is I don't, I don't know. And this is for all like, for all like big entities acquiring other things, whether it's private equity or whatever is like, I don't understand the business side of acquiring companies for financial stuff. And, and I'm hesitating because like, I feel like it edges, like not understanding it, it edges me too close to like conspiracy theory thing, right? Like, <laughs> oh, you would just do this thing so you could do this thing. So you do right, that other thing. Right. You Whereas can, it's you just stick all your debt in there and hide it. 
right know? right we're, we're that just sounds too like i mean i mean it's like the uh uh whatever the opposite of occam's razor is like you know the tinfoil hat of complexity is just like no that's you know or you know what else you could do is just like buy more backpacks to sell right like it's it just like it, that doesn't like that kind of complexity of of like MA conspiracy thinking like shows that someone who thinks it doesn't realize that the number one thing you do in strategy is try to make money as easily as possible right right and like right so you're not going to all your bases make sure like you know nothing's going to bite you like you know, right oh, it, if we lose 80 percent of the employees what happens yeah exactly and and so to brandon's point right like like in this kind of situation, and, and I would look at this as a, 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 in a similar kind of structure is like, you know, what, you're not like, I, I, I'm going to assume Moogsoft isn't like a, you know, $30 billion company. Uh, it's, it's, it might well, be. They were, they were trying to buy Datadog, but. <laughs> so, so it's, it's probably like, you know, not gigantic. So it's a small company. And like my, my thinking is if you're acquiring a company like that and you're not, buying them for features right like you're not buying them for the technology like all you can really hope for in the first one to two years is to just make it so you can sell more backpacks right like that's the whole thing and so like and and that's the great thing about like dell buying infrastructure software companies is it makes sense on the executive agenda slide right like we sell uh however many power edge servers or whatever and uh, this Moogsoft stuff monitors PowerEdge servers. Everyone who buys a, a server wants to monitor it, yeah. right? And and so, like, that is totally cool. But then it all comes down to, like, all right, like, day one or whenever you can legally start doing this kind of planning. Like, all we want is there needs to be one of those HTML checkboxes when you buy a server that says add Moogsoft. What do we have to do to do that? That's it. Like, I don't want to hear about ERP systems or SKUs or prices or like regional like GDPR. No, no. I want a fucking checkbox on the page <laughs> and you click it and then I make $50 more. Right. Yeah, like that's I it. I want to buy it like a backpack. So I think that's definitely true. But I have had this longstanding theory just because living here in Austin and like based solely on the unscientific sample of just people I meet and know from Dell. And like, I'm going to say... 80 to 90% will say they work in finance. And I've had this theory that like at the end of the day, like you're talking about they make a lot of money on backpacks. I've always thought to myself, Dell makes so much money in like financing stuff, right? Because mm. then I'm like, well, what do you do? And they started explaining it to me. Like they have big companies that want to buy a lot of hardware, but then of course they offer all of these different ways sure, to sure. buy it. And it's like, I mean, and it's infinitely, you know, we think Kubernetes is complicated. It's like, there's like an infinite ways to finance things. And there's all these different Place so, so. money on that and then there's also then people that are not maybe on that the sales side is that they're a constant that machine at dell is so good about like uh if you will like where they're getting their suppliers and how they're financing that and getting the parts and like i right, just right. feel like they make so i've always thought to myself like forget software man you could give dell like they could like sell cars they could just sell anything that requires you to like have significant capital outlay that you need like any type of machinery because that finance machine to me, I'm always like, I bet you it's just like billions of times upon billions of dollars in just financial sure, yeah, yeah. transactions. And that to me seems like the core competency of Dell. That's right. what I'm I, So, so I, I, I mean, well, so one, I mean, uh, I, I think, I think, uh, 
I think as they call it, is it DFS, Dell Financial Services? I think they do make a significant amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and like all, no, like, not like all, but like most banking, it's pretty much free money, right? Like you don't have to like invest much into it. It's just like you, you take on the risk and you invest like the basic costs. And so like you don't have to like manufacture financing. It just is there. And then I think the other thing that, that to think about with something like this, why Dell or other companies like Cisco, who's kind of done this or other hardware companies is like the older they get, the better they are at what they do, as you're saying, the more of a machine they are. And then kind of not paradoxically, but counterintuitively, the less money they can make because they're just like, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. we've gotten all we can. Right. Like I think analogously, like the insurance industry, it's just like, there's only so many cars you can insure. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can't do like after eighty years, there's no more cars. No, right? sure. So, like, go back to the Dell EMC. Like, obviously, they bought EMC way back, and that, that was probably super profitable because I know that storage devices, right? When right. That was it was hot, enterprise so. storage, so you mark it yeah. up because it. So that was probably like a lot of financing. But you're right. There's probably like there's just not as many. Probably they would tell me just like you're telling me. It's like yeah, we would go buy more of those hardware companies, but they just they don't exist anymore. They, right? they, they, right. There's no more backpacks to buy. They, they got to. <laughs> and so like i i think i think that's part of the allure of of a company like dell always getting into software is like we need to enter new markets right because we have to we have to grow our we've got to get more tam pools more, more total addressable addressable market because we more or less know that like because we're such a a very well run machine if we're good in a business we'll take anywhere between 10 to 20% of it. And so we just need to get into the business and run it. And that's where like, that's why I keep joking about backpacks is like the machine can sell backpacks, right? And so what you have to do is find new markets that you're not already in where that model works. Whereas if you want to like build up a new part of the machine that like, I don't know, like it, it, it would be kind of nutso if if they were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to need a software development. Maybe then what we should pitch to them is like, I think Mooksoft's like going to be too complicated because you know how these meetings go. They're going to, the sales reps are going to be like, yeah, I just need the price list and the SKUs. And you're like, that eh, doesn't work like that. What I think that maybe they should do on the software side, maybe they should like try to pick up like a Zoom where it's just like, yeah, you want like 25, totally. 100 Zoom licenses. Yeah. And then you just throw it. And then you're just talking to the finance people. It's like, yeah, you know what we can do? We could throw this in with the servers and we'll stretch this out and we'll make, you know, this go here. We have and, a adjustable rate mortgage on it. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like, it's all like, it's just all finance. It's like, yeah, you know what? It does make it. It's, we can buy Zoom cheaper. Through, we can somehow pay you more money but you know, we get some type of credits on the back end and it's all going to work better. And I just think like selling zoom is just like, you just ask people if they want it. You know, there's no, like there's yeah. no long sales cycle about Mooksoft and APM and why it's important. And, like, and maybe Mooksoft is that like, you know, turnkey of, of an application that, you know, we just don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe it is. <laughs> Good luck. I mean, I would say there is plenty of history though. Like, We've seen a lot of software come and go out of Dell. And I don't think it's all because it was like selling so well they got rid of it. Right. So I just think this is, this feels very. Um, well, uh, do we know the terms of the acquisition? I mean, maybe this was like, you know, a fire sale. I don't, I don't, do not think we've seen that. So, yeah. So, so maybe they're like, look, we only have to sell 50,000 backpacks and this thing's gold. Yeah, maybe sure. Maybe it was. Maybe at the right price, it's like, yeah, we just we sell it, we keep it for a year, and then and then maybe you're right. Maybe this is part of a larger and, and, financial and, transaction. 
I mean, I mean, I mean, you two are getting to it. Is like now, it's a, it's it's a, a shared responsibility between whoever the uh, I forget the term you use for this. Whoever the the executive in charge of the acquisition uh, is Adele, and then the Moogsoft team, they're like, let's get a fucking backpack, right? Like yeah. if, if Moogsoft doesn't have a backpack, they need to come up with some. Right, like they they can have their existing, <laughs> well, I mean, their existing I mean, like normal yeah. as we would understand it, software business where you've got like you're either doing some product led growth business of some funnel growth hacking nonsense, or you're sending out a big you know in person enterprise sales rep to kind of like build hunt. You go go up the elevator and hunt something out. You can still do that, but you need to add a third thing: backpacks. You got to have that. And yeah. and then you will get the uh, the synergies will that's, be achieved. That's the the new. Uh, well, the only way this story has to end is in three years. The uh, what are you calling it? Sumo Relic gets spun out of this uh, private equity thing uh, and sold to either Dell or some other large company. And then after that is done, is Francisco Partners and TBG they buy Moogsoft from Dell, and the process repeats. That will be the natural end to this Rinse entire or or whatever you know Wiley three company the the new Relic guys have started. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's out there too. Yeah, eventually that's that's probably you're right. That's probably already happening right now. Yeah, we could call it uh, Moogly. That, that's that's <laughs> almost like a, the jungle story. Please don't. We got some Moogly up on our servers. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of uh, of uh, <laughs> transformations, I think there, you know, I think I think since last we talked, and and there has been a lot of interesting action in government IT, and I feel Ooh. like I feel like as ever we have waited yet another year too long to uh, put on our legacy conf, or maybe let let me, let me put put this on its head, maybe we're waiting the exact right amount of time because now we'll have case studies. It looks like the U.S. Federal Reserve is activating instant no-pay transfers, otherwise known as European banking, which, which, which is fine. <laughs> and Australian, yes. Yeah, and, you know, the rest of the world banking, we've got that going on. I just saw today that the IRS said by like 2020-something, 20 you'll be able to be completely paperless Get doing all of, of your, your tax oh, filing. Okay. And, uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, we, we've heard some stories about passport uh, applications it turns out, like, if you want a British passport, you should be in, like, Toronto for it to be faster or something. I forget the exact story. But uh, is it well, my old friend? The Federal Reserve. So FedNow, I've I just kind of a little bit of homework for the listeners is that I looked it up and said it is live uh, in here in the United States because it, mm-hmm. we have a lot of banks. We have, I don't know, thousands of banks, which is unlike most other countries. So That's right now, there are 36 banks participating in the FedNow thing. None wow. of the banks I bank with I have not been able to see it actually in like a website or anywhere. Cause I was like, but I'm not uh, none of the 36 banks are banks that I personally use. And so there are a couple of big ones like JP Morgan is on there. Um, mm. No bank of America and no city bank. So there's Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is the other big one. All right. So, so until you get, I think, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know who's in charge of recruiting. You know, it's like, it seems like you would get bank of America and city bank. You'd be like, we got to have them, right. Cause you got to have the top four. Um, but they're not there. So I don't know when they'll eventually they're show coming. up, but until, because I guess what we're all I'm waiting for, and this is what I wanted to ask the listeners is like, can anyone log into their bank's website and see a way to initiate a transfer using fed now? Like, cause I, that's my, um, I, I think right now, maybe it's only, I don't know. This is where I just don't know. Like this is a part of like, you know, they declared success and they rolled it out and it's like, does that just mean the banks can only use it amongst themselves? And like, when will I be able to 
if you will, quote unquote, Venmo someone using FedNow. So if anyone uh, can do that, send a, uh, find us in the Slack or just send me an email and just t- tell me like, yeah, you did it. And like, I'd love to hear about the experience. Good, bad, so, whatever. So wow. what you're saying is the uh, University Federal Credit Union doesn't have this yet, Brandon? Did you look them up? <laughs> I did. They were not, they were not on. Uh, well, I, I just had to look like I got an email from my Australian bank yesterday. Like, oh, we have a new pay service. They've essentially introduced like PayPal for themselves. You know, where oh. the, the, the vendor can just send a link um, and the bank will like intercept it. And I can just be like, pay. Yeah. You know, so the, like, I don't even have to, I don't even have to set up the payer anymore. Uh, okay. or the right. receiver. Well, that's, that's what we want. That's what here in the U S. So, oh, okay, yeah, so, yeah. so, so in 10 years, America, you got that to look forward to. All right. <laughs> All right. Now, well, that one, so I still, I'm going to give them credit. It happened. They got 36 banks. That's a lot more than I ever thought would actually happen. So hopefully people do it. Now, the other thing I want to throw out, give kudos where, uh, Give credit where credit is due. I did, uh, I was flying and I came back through the United States through Global Entry, which I've used many times and yeah. always liked it. So this was the first time I legitimately did touchless Global Entry. Oh, so yeah. I yeah. walked up to, I, I was nice. literally, my son, this was the first time he has had it. So like I was sort of micromanaging him like as a dad, like, and he was just like, go away, I know what I'm doing. And I was like, so he was like doing his thing. And then I walk up and I just literally looked at the kiosk, right? I didn't get my password. I was trying to like figure out what it was and it immediately green lighted me. So it got, took my picture really? and said, oh, just yeah. walk to, uh, and I just walked up to the border patrol person and with my family. And it was like, I didn't have anything. I didn't do right. anything. I literally right. just looked at it and I handed my passport to them. And they're like, uh, where were you? I was like, I was in Mexico. And they're like, did you have fun? Yeah. And they're like, okay, thanks. And I mean, I am not kidding. This entire process was like, I didn't even show minutes. my passport last time. I could I not just, believe it. Yeah. To the point, I don't know if you had experience. Like, I literally, it was worked so well. I felt like maybe I, maybe like they just didn't do it right. Like, maybe I'm not going to like, they're going to call <laughs> me and be like, we're not, we, we forgot to like to sign you in. You're not allowed to be in the country. You have to come back and do it again. Like, at least like scan <laughs> well, something. And it was well, so luckily, the, you know, Immigration is working all over the country now, so they'll probably yeah, come to your house in like, Austin and un- kick down the door. Unbelievable experience. I don't know, Kote, if you've actually done it. I mean, but I was just like, I was like, hey, uh, this no, is actually I, touch. And because they call it touchless, and it was. It was like, you didn't, I did not do one thing. So, yeah. so an amazing, uh, if this didn't work, no one call me. If this, if I just got in by accident, just let me believe. No, it. it's, I, I had similar experience um, when I went to FinOpsX. No, so, I mean, I, phenomenal. I, phenomenal yeah, experience. Last time I still had to like stick my passport in a machine and, no. and have it scanned. So, okay. Well, that, well, you know, it's good to know that they still have the, uh, you know, I think the, the most treasured, fantastic part of, of an American citizen reentering their country, which is getting harassed by the border patrol. I think that's, uh, that's, that's good to hear. But they're still nice. Yeah. Were... I've been to a lot of countries and, and American border control is not at the top of the list. <laughs> they're just, do, they're doing their job. I understand. This time could not have been better. Now, yeah, this time they were like, have a great day. I was like, that's yeah. it. And they're like, that's it, you know, it. I, I, could, I could see that if you had the experience you described, it is a lot more stress free. Right. And oh, so yeah. like applying our DevOps thinking, you know, it, it's not the, the person, it's the system. And so like you, you fix up the system, you like optimize it. It's touchless. It's faster. It's assured. People are less stressed. They're more happy. And they turn into like Dutch Border Patrol people who are just like, 
Hey, asshole, you don't speak Dutch yet, huh? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> your 2.0 is like, it is, it's like, it's sort of like automation when it works. Now, obviously, you have to like get the uh, uh, approval, have to go through the process of doing all that, which is a pain. But like, sure, I was sure. just like, wow, like, it's sort of like, oh, the, the pipe, it's like almost like the application was deployed and it was all automated. And just, all right. So these guys are a keynote. When are we doing this conference? All right. Well, I also want to give a shout out now in Mexico. So I've been going to Mexico for years. Love Mexico. Now they, to their credit, they got rid of the paper form you have to fill out. Could not believe it. You know, you always, you're on the plane, they hand out the thing that's in Spanish and English, and then you're always writing your, I am always writing my surname in the wrong spot. And the, oh, date, oh, yeah. the date is backwards and then it's not oh, right. The and right. then I have to go, <laughs> you know, rewrite it. It's just a nightmare. I, I unbelievably poor at it. Somehow Mexico got rid of it completely. So again, you just walk up with your passport. And in fact, I was with my son, so because he, he's under 18, we couldn't do it. But they had a whole electronic system where you just tag your passport, go right through. Um, but we couldn't do that because we had it with my son. But still, incredible uh, improvement there. Like, I mean, back to the automation, at least. Because, again, it's all Americans. Most people going to the beach. None of us know what we're doing. Everyone's filling out the form wrong. That's mo- probably an American thing. But just the fact that they got rid of this, I'm not kidding. I think the throughput of getting into Mexico has got to be three times mm-hmm. faster. So again, credit to Mexico for coming through and getting rid of that. And they just stamp your passport, right? It's like, great. And then at the end, when you just, they look and you're leaving, you're just like, okay, you stamp there and like, they're like, get out of here. Have fun. I, th- I, th- I think there's two things. One, uh, I predict that we're going to start like all these like five, 10 year projects to digitize to digital transformation, government IT. I think they're going to start paying off just all of a sudden, <laughs> just like you're describing. It's going to be like, boom, they shipped it. And they, uh, they did some rolling deploy and they cut over to the new version. All right. And so there's still, I'm going to say Mexico, well, United States, a plus Mexico, a plus now Cote, you need to explain this to me. Now Europe going the absolute other way. Right. So I guess for Americans traveling to Europe now, uh, it's going to be required that we fill out some type of online form before we get there. Uh-huh. And then when we get there, we present this some number. We're going to get some type of like approval number. Now, again, as my experience shows in Mexico, I think Americans traveling abroad, I'm going to say we're the worst group of people to prepare and do anything correctly. Absolutely. And so the fact that Europe is going to expect that uh, Americans are going to remember to fill this form out, have the number when we get to Europe and are prepared to enter the country. I'm, I'm going to, I mean, at best, this is going to be 50%. So mm-hmm. coach, when you're at uh, the Scheipel there, the, the airport down there, I expect you're going to see a long group of Americans trying to like do some type of mobile application to get this weird number that no one told them to get, or probably yeah. everyone told them to get and everyone ignored. So it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough couple of years. Yeah. For, so for I don't, I don't know what's there. going on with that. I don't know, Coach A, if you've seen this. Now, now I, I think, I think, yeah. I think what, uh, what the airlines can do here, this is where some software could help them is each of the airlines. If you remember during, uh, during the, uh, the COVID times, uh, I, I flew on a couple of different air, uh, airlines around that time, and they had varying ways of checking your documents, right? Like mm-hmm. some of them, it was just like really easy. Everything was fine. Other ones, I remember having to go to like a Salesforce form to fill out, mm-hmm. Okay, which was weird. It actually worked out pretty well. But like, so this pro- it's probably one of those things where each of the airlines, one way they can differentiate for a little while is like by the ease of doing that. No, of course, no one's going to buy their ticket based on the ease of applying for something long after you bought a ticket. So it doesn't matter, which is just going to make the problem worse. 
but uh yeah you know i think i think uh uh you're bringing up a point i haven't really crystallized too much is once once you live out of america for a while you realize that that we're the weird ones like we we uh we kind of don't conform to uh the normal way uh think things are going there which uh but i i think i think when you apply for that visa it doesn't last like five years or something. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's one of those things. Like, it's not hard. I mean, there's nothing hard about it. But I'm just like, oh, this is. It just, it just has the idea that, like, yeah, I don't think Americans. We're just not good at this. And, and to be fair, like, we probably deserve this kind of treatment because, like, <laughs> we don't make it well. Well, I mean, you know, unless you're an American citizen, like, we won't go into it. But like, you know, getting well, into I, it, I, I think, like, I think this is a good opportunity of weird stuff, and it's, and so I get it, like. You know, I mean, it's it's fair for the EU to put this on this, but I'm just like, it's not going to go well. I mean, this I, this, is, this is a good a good thought exercise for uh for designing software, which which if you were doing this in a purely like product, <laughs> yeah, well, like a, a purely product management programmer perspective, you would say like, okay, so what's in the form? Probably your name, your passport number, your nationality, the dates of your stay. That's probably what's on the form, mm-hmm. right? And then, um, so if you book a ticket to fly to Amsterdam, chances are high that you're going to go to Amsterdam and you're going to arrive at a specific date, be a specific person, have this passport number, and you probably have a return flight. So, you know, the end date. So we have all the information. So why does anyone have to fill out anything unless there's an exception, right? So essentially if I, if I'm an American, I buy a round trip tip to trip to Amsterdam on American Airlines, of course, if I was flying from the States, uh, like, like I should not notice that anything happens unless there's something wrong, right? Now, yeah, that was exactly my thing. The idea that like when you scan a passport or something, it's just sort of like all this happens behind the scenes and maybe even emails you with the number or you get flagged. Now, maybe there's a legitimate reason they need to ask you more questions. Sure. Right? So, sure. That part I get, but like that would be a very low percentage. And I think that's the part about the automation. This is where I think Mexico figured it out. was like, listen, this piece of paper is just wasting time. Like, we know yeah. you're here. We got a stamp. And then if we need to ask you more questions, we will. Right. You know, and, and I think that's that's the part where I think the European and in this case is like you could automate this. Right. It's not that you don't. It's not that you shouldn't do it. It's maybe, like automate. Maybe they this. don't want to. That's not again. Maybe, <laughs> no, maybe, but that kind of backs this, 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 this is this is a work program. Clearly. Uh, um, I mean, clearly in America, they're they're taking, you know, the most disgruntled folks and giving them jobs. And there you go. That that's what it's there for. So that's Matt uh, Ray speaking. I just want to again reiterate how much. <laughs> no, my, no, 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 no. Uh, my past I, I, as as one of the Eloy, I'm happy for the for the Morlocks to go down that line. But you know, now now uh, now you do you do raise a good point. It would it, it would be good to hear what it's like for non-Americans coming into. Oh, they hate uh, it. Like, they like, absolutely like, hate it. It's, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's the whole point. Though. Like, like in America, yeah. you can buy your way out of the the Morlock line. Yeah, it's unfair. I agree. Well, well, listen, Matt Ray has to go uh, soon. So why don't you give us your recommendation before you take off? <laughs> well, speaking of, of things that are um, disparaged by Americans, um, I had a lovely time on the uh, the Amtrak Pacific Surfliner. I was just thinking back of my, my trip last month, and I was like, you know what? That uh, that Amtrak, that was a pretty nice experience. Yeah. Um, taking uh, the train from San Diego to L.A. because they totally screwed up my flights and I had to switch airlines. Uh, but... Uh, other than that, like, you know, just easy on, uh, buy yourself the business class. It's, uh, oh, 10 yeah. bucks more. Um, but, uh, I got, you know, a drink and a snack and, you know, a nice seat and, you know, beautiful views. 
lovely. Yeah. Yeah. The trains are nice. I, I look forward to, uh, I, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't qualify for uh, KLM Platinum, which means that I have to start all over again with having 10 consecutive years of Platinum to get Lifetime Platinum, which I don't Ugh. know if I'm ever going to achieve. So now all I need to do is achieve gold. And then I think after that point, I can actually take trains, which, mm, which would be cool. much nicer. So I've, I've got that going for me. So Matt Ray's recommendation is the train. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, uh, so, so back, back to our regular uh, agenda here. Uh, do we have any bureaucracy this week? Let's see. This week, I just want to give a couple of shout outs uh, to people who emailed looking for stickers. So uh, first of all, I want to thank Tyler in Kentucky. So I sent him a sticker. Muhammad in California and Luke in the UK. And if you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also want to thank Chris. He, I did ask for some feedback on interviews. We did a bunch of interviews uh, over the summer. And uh, he was uh, very gracious, gave me some ideas about things he liked on things we can improve on, which was uh, very helpful. So if you have any feedback on anything really on the show, you can always send it to uh, questions at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Send us questions, send us feedback, tell us what you like, tell us what you want us to talk about. And uh, we always read every, we read every one of those emails. So if you send it, it will get read and uh, appreciate everyone uh, hanging with us over the summer. Also in sticker news, I was in Paris this weekend and I didn't see any software defined talk stickers anywhere. So if you live in the Paris area, you should uh, you should send in a request to have stickers sent. Yeah, we should say like there was a pre-show lost. It won't be in the pre-show because we didn't record it. But I'll just say it's like I don't think we've ever sent a sticker to Paris, which makes me wonder like, what's going on. Are we as is our IT happening in Paris? Uh, is our show not hitting there? Like wh- what's happening? So uh, yeah, if you're in Paris. Drop me a line. I'll send you some stickers, or just drop me a line. Just tell me you're listening. That's all I want to know. Yeah, I'll have to. Uh, uh, I'll have to go look at the charts, see see what the the downloads look like from the IP addresses and things like that. Well, there's also several conferences going on uh, in in a few days. August eighth, there's Kubernetes Community Day Australia, where Matt will be, and then also later this month, August twenty first to twenty fourth, there's going to be Spring One which is going to be part of VMware Explore in uh, Las Vegas. That should be a lot of fun. And uh, later in November, there'll be another VMware Explorer uh, that I'll be at. You've also got DevOps Days Des Des Moines coming up September 6th and 7th, where I'll be speaking. I don't know if I've ever been to Iowa for a while, uh, but I'll be there. And then uh, September 18th and 19th, there's the Shift Conference in Zadar, Croatia, where I will be as well. And uh, then there's also QCon, another Kubernetes community day in Texas. And uh, not to be confused with QCon, there's KubeCon, uh, which is in November. And uh, then, of course, way there in January, you've got that conference in Texas. But if you want to see a list of those conferences and the exact dates and things like that, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. And also, if you go look at my uh, the newsletter that I send out at newsletter.cote.io, amongst many other delightful things, I put a list of places that I'll be going and things I'll be doing, which I didn't go over all of them there, but there's some other conferences to look into, uh, which are uh, delightful, of course. Now, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Well, first, I just want to say if anybody other than Cote is at the DevOps Days Des Moines conference, followed by the Zadar shift conference send, in, croatia. I, send us an email. Cro- in croatia right that's okay send it yeah send me an email send, send it we'll send you some extra stickers that's 
and then create incredible back to back. I don't, I just, <laughs> just looking at the list there, I was a little stunned. I was like, that's okay. That's quite, that's two different places. It's definitely two different places. So that, that's how, that's like when I was in uh, Riga, Latvia, like one day. And then 24 hours later, I was in Kansas city uh, <laughs> and, and my luggage got lost. So I had to wear the same shirt. Uh, well, no, I, I got, I got the conference shirt. So I wore that. So well, I wore a t-shirt. With I, I need a picture too. of you with some corn. I think you say Des Moines. I don't know. Now you have Des Moines. What did I say? How to say Des Moines, Iowa? I don't know. Now I don't even know. But uh, yeah, so get a picture of some corn, and then I don't know what's in Croatia, but get a picture of their local delicacy. Oh, there's there's well, beautiful beaches in Croatia, and they right. filmed a lot of uh, a lot of Game of Thrones there in um, Dubrovnik. Which I probably also mispronounced. Well, for those maybe not listening internationally, I'll just I'll clue you in. There's no beaches in Des Moines. Zero beaches in Des Moines. So there are no beaches. So that's probably true. Your your uh, travel itinerary, Cote, is is fantastic. I love it. So uh, my recommendation this week is a show, Full Circle, uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh. I think it's five episodes, six episodes, and then on each on Max, as they say. Uh, so if you like Steven Soderbergh, uh, the, there's a movie Crash. I don't know, Kote, if you remember the movie like back in the 90s Vaguely. Or it's, yeah. uh, I was going to say it's, it's, it's different. It's not kind of the same thing, but kind of in that style, right? Sort of like a, a lot of characters, lots of stuff happening, lots of overlapping kind of stories, which was, was interesting. So I enjoyed it. So if you're looking for something to watch, check out Full Circle on Max. Well, my recommendation, I, uh, I picked this book up when I was, I was in London a little while ago. You know, you go to London as a uh, uh an english reader i i finally went to uh to foils the foils in piccadilly there it was great it's like uh four stories of books in a little cafe although they could use some air conditioning in the cafe but what are you gonna do europe am i right uh, uh and uh you know i bought a bunch of books one of them that i bought was this book called a waiter in paris uh a, a, it's not the orwell book it's a it's a newer one and uh so while i was in paris this past weekend i read it i was a little concerned that if I was going to read it in Paris, uh, you know, in public in Paris, people would think like, oh, what, you know, that's weird. Like, I don't know, Brandon, if you were like, if you were like visiting someplace and you're reading a book about that place, would you feel awkward or would you feel like you're doing your homework? Mm, I think doing my homework. In fact, I think we were talking offline. I actually love, uh, I was kind of kidding before, like, I don't really enjoy sightseeing, but I love a good audio tour where like, you know, uh, like, yeah. somewhere and like, and people are like have taken the time to put something together. Like they really teach you about what's happening or like what's important. So I love that. So yeah, I would, that's, that's good. So it, it would show your interest. Yeah, yeah. You're like you're like, hey, I'm here. I want to know what what's really going on. So yeah. So I I haven't read this book. I have no idea what it's about. But like if it's related to it, I'd I'd be proud of that. I'd be like, yeah. yeah. So, so this book, A Waiter in Paris, it's about this guy and uh, this English guy in 2011 who. Uh, as he says, he actually knows a lot more French than he let on, but he he knew very little French, and he decided he was going to go be a waiter, and decided in that that's oh the job gosh. that he could get, oh and so God. he go, he goes and works at like a big, a, you know, a, 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 a formal fancy French restaurant, and there's all sorts of fun stories in there. So it's oh, wow. uh, it's it's yeah. it's pretty good. It, it, like, I think I think it's good. It's very well written. The only flaw in it. Is that and and I I I only say this because we comment on this every now and then. Like sometimes it feels as if each chapter is self stand is too st- self standing enough that it was written as if it might be excerpted for a magazine article, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a little bit of like there's a little bit of summaries and background of characters that you've already heard about. Now on the other hand, I was thinking 
But this writing style also makes it really easy to read. Because if you've forgotten who this character is, now they kind of reintroduce and tell you who that character is. Now, now in contrast, I've been reading some, uh, how, how do you say it? Like John Le Carre, like the spy guy, like who write, like, wrote like Tinker Tailor Soldier and all these oh, spy okay, books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that guy does not help you with, with the story. <laughs> So I, I think I might appreciate some of the uh, repetitiveness. Even in the movie of that, I was like, I was confused. And that was just a movie. I could like, and I was like, who is this? What's going on? I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching yeah. the movie after reading the book and, and, and vice versa, I think is helpful just to kind mm-hmm. of plot out what's going there. But A Waiter in Paris, fun book. Very easy to read. It's, uh, it's rewarding. You should check that out. Well, as always, speaking of things that are rewarding, this has been an, another episode of Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode. There's, it's been a while since we've had a, uh, the three of us together. So there are many, many interesting news stories you can go check out. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 426, that's 426. And you can also find out how to join our Slack channel where there's all sorts of great conversation going on. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can watch the, uh, find a link to the videos where we record this and all sorts of other things like that. And with that... We'll see everyone next time. And remember, if you want to hear about Brandon's adventures having the COVID, you got to go hunt us down in YouTube and you can watch the rest of this broadcast and make sure to subscribe to our channel. Why? I don't know. Because bigger numbers are better than smaller numbers. Bye-bye. All the bakeries. Like if their ovens go down and they can't remediate that, it's no good. So they need a lot of observability. I think Absolutely. that's, that's, that's well. They're 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 totally a distributed system. We just you just gave us the top ten. Not a single bakery. Yeah, internet internet of croissants. All right. Well, uh, shall we start then?